Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the June 11, 2023 session, focusing on Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9, Moving Out. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm David Adams. And I'm Burke Montgomery. I have a feeling, as mobile as our society is, that all of us have moved at one time or another. Our families from one place to another, one town to another. We've had to load up the gear and make the move. So I'm curious, what's a memorable move for your family? The most recent one I did was 15 years ago when we moved from Kentucky, northern Kentucky, down to Starkville, Mississippi. And we had two preteen, almost teenage boys, and a cat. We had never moved with an animal before. Uh And apparently cats don't like to travel. And our cat did not like the little container, whatever, travel box. What's that thing you call it? And so we were driving down, and about halfway down, she was just screaming bloody murder and just going nuts in that thing. And so we stopped in Jackson, Tennessee, about halfway where my in-laws live and went to a vet and said, can you give her something, give us something to give to her something? And they gave her a shot. And then they gave us these little pills that were going to help relax her. Ah. And they said, you can give her as much as you need. It's not, but it'll help her relax. And we gave her and she did not do anything. (laughs) It was a nightmare. I felt so bad for her. Just awful. So even the shot? No, (laughs) nothing. She was just furious about having to be caged up and riding that car. (laughs) And it made her car sick inside that thing. And just, it was, yeah, we, it was a horrible long (laughs) drive. Oh my goodness. (laughs) But she survived. Yeah, she survived. Well, we had to make a move from Georgia to Bloomington, Indiana, which is a long move. And it's difficult when you have cats and moving vans and all this. But we did it in January, but all the roads were closed, including the highways. <laughs> and somehow we managed to get all the way up there. Just getting on the plane for me to go to Georgia in the first place was difficult because all the roads going to the airport were closed. They were completely snowed in. So there was just no way to get there. And then when we got there, there was no way to get through Kentucky. Fortunately, once you cross the Ohio River, they have this really weird invention called snow plows. And <laughs> that pushes things off the road so you can drive the rest of the way in relative comfort and things. But, oh, is that difficult going through all that ice and snow and closed roads? It's such a long move. Mercy. I don't know that I have one that's memorable necessarily because of what has happened during the move. But when I was younger, my dad was a pastor. And so pastors tend to move a lot. And I, very much remember the move that we made from Atlanta to Waynesboro, Georgia, which is what I call home and where I grew up. And I remember it, I think probably because the age I was like fourth grade. And so the age that I was at, it was, it just impressed upon me. I I remember it. But the other reason that I remember it is because the church that we were coming to gave us an old fashioned pounding. (laughs) And so sometimes when churches would hire new staff, particularly pastors, and they have to move, they would pound the pastor and just bring things that someone will need after they've moved. Toilet paper, toothpaste, deodorant, just anything. It's a welcome to the community. 
And so they had this great party for us. I'm 10 years old and they're giving us all of these things. And I just remember we came home after that and began unpacking those things when we still had to unpack everything else. And I started counting toothpaste tubes. And we really, I don't think we had to buy toothpaste for the first five years we lived there. It was really like, it was such a wonderful, generous way to welcome us to the community. But I just remember that and how how funny it was and how uh, it was memorable, for sure. Dental care is important. Right? Yeah. Thankfully, it has a long shelf life. That's yes. Yes. All of the things that they gave us did. Tons of toilet paper towels things like that. We we made a move from Waco, Texas. We were at Baylor and all the way to Louisville, Kentucky. And because we were poor, we did not have the funding to, you know, to get a big truck and load everything up. Mom and dad came from Arkansas over and helped us. And so dad had a Ford Ranger. I had his old hand-me-down Ford Ranger and we rented a U-Haul trailer to go behind it. And we loaded everything up in these two trucks in that U-Haul and then made our way to Kentucky, which wouldn't have been such a big deal, except I wasn't really used to driving a truck with a trailer on it. And there was some pretty significant construction going on where they put the concrete up and it's narrow roads. And I still remember the sweat as I worried about making it through there and not fishtailing. But anyway, we made it. Everything's fine, but it's a memory, the drive itself, getting through that construction. Yeah. Don't drive trucks with trailers unless you're used to it. (laughs) As usual, if Bert's doing the intro, it's likely, not always, but it's likely we have a musical reference in the title. And so we do here with the Billy Joel tune moving out. That's correct. <laughs> so I'm going to reference which... it, but it's there. Okay. All right. That's good enough. I have, to, I have to say, Bert, you have a great radio voice. Like, I Thank feel you. like you could do radio. <laughs> anyway, just had to say From beautiful that downtown Starkville. Yes. <laughs> All right, Bert, we're in Genesis. Help us get going with this one. All right. Not rock and roll, not music songs, but I want to talk about stories. Isn't it great? to read old stories, to get drawn into them, Mm -hmm. to begin to identify with certain characters, begin to see people that you feel like, hey, that could be me, or that's my friend, that's my family. And then you begin to people around you that you don't like in the characters doing the bad things in the stories. Who doesn't love imagining themselves as Princess Leah or Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, comparing evil people in our world to Darth Vader? Or one of the many characters in Lord of the Rings. Or who doesn't pretend and think they they aspire to be or recognize in themselves aspects of Dorothy or the Scarecrow, the Tin Man or the Cowardly Lion. Great stories with life-altering decisions and life-threatening adventures allow us to imagine ourselves persevering through terrible conditions, learning hard lessons, rebounding from mistakes or bad choices, and somehow emerging as heroes in the end. The only problem is that too often, I think maybe we're we're afraid of taking an honest look inside of ourselves to see if there's anything within us that may be more like the despicable characters in our favorite stories, or worse, 
the apathetic, lukewarm ones who could have done something, but instead chose to pretend it was none of their business to get involved. I think we do the same with so many of our great biblical stories. We're inclined to see ourselves in our biblical heroes, aren't we? Now, consider this text from Genesis all the way back in the beginning. Not all the way back, but almost. A little bit after creation and the flood, there's this rich man named Abram. We will come to know him as Abraham, but for now, it's still Abram. He's got a wife. She has a personal slave. Can we be frank with the term handmaiden? And then they have slaves and animals and property and extended family who have animals and slaves. Abram was living the good life, except that he and his wife, Sarai, there's no H at the end yet, it's S-A-R-I, they're unable to have kids. Now, later on, sometime after today's story, we learn more about the slave Hagar and how Sarah gave her to Abram to be a surrogate. But that this story is before even that. God tells Abram to go forth, to leave his country, this land where he was born and raised and lived three-fourths of a century and has done quite well to leave the country of his father and his parents, extended families and ancestors. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Abram took Sarai. Abram took his nephew Lot. They took all their earthly belongings, which apparently was quite significant. And the scriptures tell us all the, quote, persons they had acquired. Persons they had acquired Let's see, what would be the word for that? People who are bought by other people? Anyway, we Christians, especially Christians raised in churches with a strong sense of calling out and sending forth missionaries, oh, we love this story. Ask any pastor, minister, chaplain, missionary about their calling. Ask any of us on this podcast, and many of us will talk about a time we felt God calling us to move away from everything and everyone we have ever known, and God sending us out to be strangers in a strange land. Ah, many of us love this Abram story. But Abram's story is just one aspect of the story. There are many other stories and perspectives going on around here in this story, but we don't know them. Those stories are not told. Really, what does Sarai think about all this? Is she on board with it? Does she resist it? Is she forced to go? Does she have a voice in any of this? Hey, let's not pretend that Abram and Sarah had a 21st century white European egalitarian or even complementarian romantic love holding them together. Our form of marriage for love and romance doesn't exist until just a few hundred years ago. Marriage and family are economic institutions formed for survival. I've heard more than one rabbi describe what comes soon after the story, how Abram, and this is from a rabbi, pimps Sarah out on more than a few occasions in order to save his life and get to where he is going. So let's not read our modern romantic ideas of a healthy marriage into this. What about Lot? Why is he going with Uncle Abe instead of staying with his own father? Does he understand where the, why they're leaving? Hey, Unc, 
you think you can maybe get God to talk to me a little bit and give me a sign? Because you might be crazy, right? All the slaves, do we know any of their stories? Or are they just nameless children of God who were acquired by Sarah, Lot, and Abe at some point? Oh my gosh, and don't even mention all the people already inhabiting the land of Canaan when Abe and the crew show up. Now, one of the things I love about our Jewish friends is they remind us of the importance of asking hard questions like these. Oh, the Jewish tradition from which we come, the Christian tradition emerges from. The Jewish tradition is so rich with everybody arguing with each other about the text, arguing with the Torah, arguing directly with God. Writing about this text, Rabbi Stacy Rigler challenges us to consider the power in a point of view. I'm going to link an article of hers about this text, commentary about it, in our show notes for you. I encourage you to read it, maybe use it as you discuss this. But hearing this story from one point of view, that of Abram, makes it impossible for us to know the other stories. Rabbi Stacy says that not knowing their stories leads us to label others or make assumptions about their perspectives. Sarah, Hagar, Lot, we don't know what they were thinking or what they did because we only get the perspective that focuses on Abram. The commandment, and she uses the Hebrew words here, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but the commandment of go forth is to go out from ourselves, she says, recognizing that each of us sees only one interpretation of any journey. Rabbi Stacy asks, how can we commit to ensuring that more than one single story is being told? How can we ask what perspective is being shared and what voices might be missing? How and why might we shift a narrative to recenter the focus? How can we ensure that everyone seems sees themselves represented in the lessons that we teach and the teachers who teach us? To form a community, she says, we need to learn other people's stories and experience multiple perspectives. When we embrace multiple narratives, our entire community can be a part of God's blessing. In this day, when we are beginning to hear and recognize and affirm so many different perspectives and experiences and stories, of our own American story, we need to understand that when we embrace multiple narratives, our entire community can be a part of God's blessing, just as God intended it for Abram back in the beginning. Thank you for sharing. That that really helps put this oddly into perspective. We tend to think about modern day problems where we struggle to understand others' perspectives, but this has been with us for quite some time. One of the things I like to preach about, though, and I think I'm getting this from looking at history, is that so much of the faith that we have, so much of Western American Christian faith, is so focused on only one faith narrative and only one faith perspective. And even going back into Christian times, 
when Christianity became legal in the Roman Empire, they outlawed, sometimes by outlawing in terms of showing up with the Roman government officials, sometimes by burning churches with people in them, but they outlawed other Christian perspectives in favor of the one that the emperor or Athanasius approved of. And we lost so much. Maybe three quarters of the different Christians in the world lost their perspective and a chance to contribute to that narrative. And even today, we'd be in churches and you have to realize that we've not heard from other Christians who don't think like us. I always love to preach about how if you've not heard someone from another race preach, you've been missing a major part of the story. If you don't hear the oppressed people talk about what their life is like, you don't know the Christian story. You think you do because you know your story, but you don't really know the story. Getting those perspectives is everything if we're going to have a broad and rich faith. And we just, for some reason, we don't push that as hard as we need to. If I could follow up on that, piggyback on that, I was at a an interfaith conversation one time that was on campus, and it's actually put together by a specific group of Christian students on campus, and they wanted to have talk about souls and the afterlife. And so they said, we'll have a Buddhist, and we'll have an atheist, and we'll have a Muslim, and we'll have a Jew, and we'll have a Christian. <laughs> and immediately I thought, the atheist ended up saying he didn't like being called an atheist because he's a neurologist and thinks it's all just mind stuff anyway. But if he's anything, if you have to label him, he'd be agnostic because whatever. But he was there. He understood why they asked him because he didn't think there's a soul or a spirit or afterlife. And then the Jew was like a reformed Jew. And he says, no, I'm just, this is just one perspective, but this is mine. And then the Muslim was like, there's lots of different, and doing that. But the Christian was like, this is the Christian's statement. And this is the way it is. And he was a, <clears throat> let me just, can I say, it was very Calvinistic in a very Calvinistic conservative tradition, which of course means that they, let's burn anybody that disagrees with us, right? Not that they were going to burn people, but Calvin has a bad history. But of what you were saying, David, and somebody asked about, do dogs have souls? Then, <laughs> and do we experience, can dogs experience the holiness of life? And the Hindu, is, and the Hindu tradition, you know, this, everything is life. And the, the Christian said, no, the Christian theology is that no. There's no spirituality to animals at all. We're the only ones. And I raised my hand and I said, there's lots of Christian traditions that make space for and acknowledge things. He said, no, that's Hinduism. Uh, uh, no, I'm saying there's lots of other Christian traditions around the world that that make space for the holiness of all, God in all of creation and all living things. And uh, so that sounds like what you're saying, David. I've experienced that. <laughs> it's like most of the time when you ask with Christian perspective on things. It's much like the scene from the Blues Brothers when they go to a bar and ask what kind of music you play here. And they say, oh, we play both kind of music, country and Western. <laughs> and Christians can be like that, where we think there's this one monolithic way to be Christian and no other perspective counts. And consequently, the people who grab the mic and speak to the news and speak to the public, they misrepresent everybody else. And sometimes they terribly embarrass us because their narrow perspective is the one that's presented as the Christian perspective. I think this is such a wonderful conversation to come out of this text. It's not at all where I thought we were going to be going today, and I'm really loving it. 
And I keep thinking, as y'all are talking, I agree with all the things you all are saying. And I find myself thinking how people who perpetuate a single narrative are doing it in order to control. Mm -hmm. When we try to pretend like this one single narrative is the way that it is, that's about controlling a population. And it's about labeling who's in and who's out. But when we respect the lived experiences of everyone around us, then we validate those experiences. And then you can't control anymore. But I think it's such a full, a much more full experience when we can allow all the different experiences of God and the gospel and Christ to be shared and to learn from them and to not be threatened if somebody experiences God differently than we do. To some, that's precisely what makes it dangerous mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you can do that. But as you're saying this, Nikki, it occurred to me what Bert said earlier in his unpacking of this scripture. At some point, to really get to where God needs us to go, we have to leave behind where we are. I mean, we mm-hmm. accept something new and travel on this journey where we don't know where we're going. And yes, we talked about Abram's experience in this journey, and nobody else gets a say. But behind all this is still is this call from God that we have to be ready to leave things behind and go someplace else, you know, where God's going to act in our life because we've done that. Yeah, there's a person who writes commentary on this. His name is Timothy Simpson. I don't know of him, but he talks about the politics of immigration, and he draws from this text. He says, we often focus on Abram as being sent by God somewhere, and we, oh, that could be us. God, send me somewhere. We'll go some strange place. But then we forget to ask, ooh, that could be us. We could be a stranger in a very strange land relying on the inhabitants to be kind and show us kindness and treat us as good people, or they could be hostile toward us. And God says to Abram, if the people are mean to you, I'll curse them, and but people who bless you, I'll bless them, right? We could be the ones who are now strangers in a foreign land. And of course, Abraham is that. And that becomes a theme that the prophets keep coming back to. And then with the Egyptians, I mean, with the Jewish people who become residents of Egypt and then taken into slavery, that becomes a theme. Remember, you were once strangers. And so how you treat the strangers among you matter. What a what a powerful time for us to be reading this in our own history. Not just the strangers and how we're treating strangers in our midst, because Abraham is a stranger. We may have not have been strangers, but how are we treating the strangers among us? But also this idea of getting to know the other stories, getting to accept that the way we have carried out our story for 200 plus years has denied so many other stories, has in many ways exterminated other people's stories? And can we enhance and grow? And what's what I'm looking for? Make our story better by acknowledging and bringing in these stories? Or do we have to deny that those stories exist? This is a real debate that's happening right now. And this this text gives us that 
opportunity to do that. And I think you put your finger on a really important fear that is driving much of the dialogue in America at this point, which is if going to a place essentially means a hostile takeover where your story is replaced by somebody else, then why should we accept other people coming in? There's this fear that we could be replaced, that our story won't matter anymore. And that's leading to a rise of nationalism. I don't want to call it Christian nationalism because I don't think it is Christian, but uh -huh. nationalism where suddenly we can't hear from the other. We can't accept the other because after all, our concept of faith is one of a hostile takeover. I would encourage people to please read that the commentary by Rabbi Stacy Rigler that's in the notes, because she talks about how they, as Jews today, are changing some of their narrative, are changing some of their terminology mm -hmm. to be more gender inclusive, to be more welcoming so that LGBTQ folks can see their stories in the greater Jewish story, right? And that's a powerful witness of maybe something we could learn from this text that we could do in our Christian tradition as well. Wow, what a what an unexpected turn this conversation took from this text because i think we all we all are familiar with the typical interpretations not that those don't have some merit but that that taking this broader view this larger understanding of the setting of the time and what that meant what that also prevented it does have a new flavor for us and i'm reminded that we are, if we admit it, we are all on a journey. We may think we're settled. <laughs> it only takes a couple of life experiences to unsettle us, does it not? Maybe just one. Yeah. The health crisis of some kind in a family, the loss of someone, the, the loss of our employment, the, the change in a culture that causes us to suddenly feel displaced or as if we are in a strange land. There, there are so many ways that we can be reminded that we too are on a journey and that we don't know what's next. In verse 9, it says, And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. And that's us, isn't it? We're moving on in stages, hopefully, because I guess the option is also to not move to stay where we are, which does that mean not growing, not learning, not letting God shape us and lead us? That is a possibility. May we recognize the journey that we are on, that others around us are on, and realize that we are actually traveling together, <laughs> whether we understand it right now or not. And the journey is so much better when we travel kindly with those alongside us. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.